Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, the podcast where we talk about mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, all while drinking whiskey. He's Jerry Armantrout, I'm Scott Barker, and welcome to tonight's show. So, we're going back east with the whiskey choice tonight. Yeah! We're going back to our friends at Suntory Distillery, and we are drinking Suntory Toki. Toki is a blended Japanese whiskey from the house of Suntory. The first thing, if you ever see it on the shelf, that you notice it, it is insanely light. It yeah. is a very nice, clear, blonde color. Um, it comes from all three of Suntory's distilleries. It comes from the, Yak- the uh, Yamazaki, the Hakushu, and the uh, Chita distilleries. Um, it's a little different uh, composition than the other Suntory blends uh, from Hibiki because the main component here is the uh, Hakushu single malt and the Chita grain whiskey. Um, I was doing a little bit of research, Jerry, and a friend of my wife who works in Hong Kong was telling me that they don't drink a lot of whiskey over in Hong Kong because it's so hot over there. Ah. And that the the big thing over there, if they're going to drink whiskey, is a highball. So it's basically a shot of whiskey and a full-size glass of of soda. Cheers, brother. That's that's different. Mm. It's very fruity. It's very clean. Yeah, it's yeah, it's got this. There's no aftertaste. There's not a lot of that bad burn. It's got a really, really. It's got great flavor. I get it a is. lot. Of, I get a lot of apple and ginger out of that. It's very. It's very fruity. That's very good. Yeah, I mean, for our listeners, I mean, a lot of times you drink that bourbon. It's got that bite that you know you can feel it. This doesn't. This is just going. You know, it goes down easy. Got a really good aroma. Smells good. That's going to be dangerous. We're getting all fancy in here. Yeah, that's going to be dangerous. This that's... stuff has caused us to get fancy. <laughs> We're fancy. All right. So, um, various and sundries. We'll we'll start with that. So, we got a couple of different things coming up. One, um, we talk a lot about the UFC. We talk a lot about Bellator. One of my favorite shows, Kazushi Takaraba's Quintet. Yep. Is coming back on October 27th for Quintet Fight Night Tokyo 5. They have not released the brackets yet, so we're not sure who's fighting. Typically, it's um, eight teams. Uh, we don't know what the what the, um, the the not the rule set, but the the gimmick is this time. Yeah. You know, it could be team versus team. It could be all female. It could be mixed sex. We don't know yet because they haven't released the brackets. But we're looking forward to that. Um, Jerry, did you see that Craig Jones and Mason Fowler had their rematch over the weekend? Yes. Craig Jones uh, tried to pull guard and, and Fowler beat him. Yep. Legitimately. So, yep. Fowler beat, um, Mason Fowler beat Craig Jones by submission. submission. Yep. Body triangle. Oh, in to, overtime. In overtime. So, now there's no more controversy yep. over... Uh, the Craig Jones, Mason Fowler trilogy. Everybody's throwing away their leopard underwear. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Um, and, of course, we can't go one show without talking about uh, John Jones. John Jones! And how gangster Dana White is. So, for those of you who may not know, uh, Brock Lesnar is no longer under contract yep, uh, with the, the WWE. They didn't meet, they did not come to an agreement on his contract, whatever that means, because it's 
neither side has really said why they couldn't come to an agreement, you know, how much money or what stipulations were there, who wanted what, they haven't really said it, so he walked away from the WWE. So, we don't know if he's in the pool yet, uh, the, the USADA pool. Um, I haven't seen one way or the other, but Dana White came out and said that Brock Lesnar would be a good introduction to heavyweight for John Jones. Yes, I saw that. That was That's a rather interesting matchup. We were actually discussing this a few minutes ago with one of our teammates. Who will be on the show very soon. Uh, he was uh, defending John Jones' ability at heavyweight, and you know he was making some good points. It could be interesting. I don't... Do not take, don't take this, you know, to be exact, but I think you only have to be in the USADA pool for three months. Four months. Four months. Because, well, they only had Lesnar in it for less than three months when he fought Mock Hunt. They actually pulled some shenanigans and were able to somehow pull it off. Because, again, UFC owns the contract. Yes. So they can decide who does what. And USADA is in they, USADA is in there at the behest of the, the UFC. UFC. They're contracted to the UFC. It is not a government mandate yeah. or anything like that that the UFC has to use. Yeah, USADA. the UFC could just say, "Ah, well, we're we're going to give this one a waiver." So at any time, the UFC can change USADA rules, and they can change them for a fight. And I guarantee you, if Lesnar and John Jones are game, and they market this right. And Lesnar gets all jacked it up. They can sell a whole lot of pay-per-views because you get the crossover fans from the WWE. And then you get John Jones's fans. You get the MMA fans. I can see him doing a little shenanigans and them fighting maybe at the new year. Yeah, I can see that. That would be a good way to round out the year. Yep. After we all yell Jumanji and yeah, take a shot and place. never talk about 2020 again. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's various and sundry. You got anything else in the trivia section, Jerry? No, uh, other than uh, they are, looks like they're going to rebook uh, Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz for, for a, a BMF, BMF title again. Yep. They first first said they were going to have them be the co-main event for get, between uh, uh, Usman and Burns, but... Both guys said that they will not be a co-main. They want to be the main event. So I think that's work. reasonable. Yeah. So they're yeah. I mean, these two dudes will draw a crowd. They deserve. You know, they had a you know, both of them got legit fans. They would do good enough on their own. I mean, especially give them like a fight night. You're going to get a lot of people to watch. Yeah. And that way, they're the main event, and they deserve to be the main event. Both of them do. For sure. So we had some fights over the weekend. Some um, interesting ones. Some, yeah, we had some interesting ones. The prelims were really good. Pre the, uh, the early fights were actually better than the main event, the co-main event. I, I would agree. So um, it was UFC uh, Fight Night 174. Yeah. 174. Um, so let's talk about the fight that didn't happen because that was the fight yeah, that I wanted yeah, to the, see. The fight that I was looking forward to the most, they canceled. And I don't know if they're going to rebook it or not. These they, two they guys, are. they are. These two guys are. hate each other. So it was Magomed Ankalev versus Ion Kutalabra, and it turned out that Kutalabra tested positive for COVID. Yep. So that got scratched at the last minute because they didn't have time to give him a second test to make to see if it was a false positive because they've had a few. But apparently, the guidelines are they have to wait like so many hours, 
and they didn't have enough time to give him a second test. Yep, so that fight is being scheduled for a later date, but for everybody who's not aware, they last fought at Fight Night 169 back in February uh, 29th of this year, and it was crazy from start to finish. Kind of separate them before the fight. Yeah, um, when they were doing the in-ring announcements, uh, Magomed Ankalev uh, came in, did his thing, went to his corner. Um, Ion Kutalabra came in and marched straight right across the, the octagon and got right in Ankalev's face. Ankalev got double unders and pitched him up against the cage. And I thought that fight was going to be yeah. over based on you know a disqualification similar to when the dude kissed Heath Herring and Heath Herring knocked him out before they rang the bell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was the direction that fight was going. Yeah. So they they um, they separated him, rang the bell, and Ankalev started teeing off on Kutalabra, and it got stopped. Kutalabra was still on his feet, but he was he was looking wobbly. But as soon as the ref came in, he was and and called the match. He was up and fully conscious. I know um, one of the. Uh, uh, one one of the commentators said, you know, he might be doing a rope a dope. Yeah, and I kind of think that was what was he going was, on. Yeah, he was trying to. He was. I, I do too. I think. I, I actually, if you watch it and you keep watching it, it looks like he was trying to get Enkelov to wear himself out or to think he had him in a bad spot, and then he's going to take him down. Yeah. Or he was going to throw that faint because as soon as the referee ran in, it's like, dude, I'm fine, and he was. And that's. I mean, like we talked about, you know. Last week with Chandler and Pitbull. I mean, that's what happened in that fight. Chandler had his feet under him. Sometimes the referees, they pull the gun, and but once they stop it, that's it. Yeah. You know? and sometimes they're like, ah, oh, shit, I stopped it too quick. But once they call it, that's it. I, I definitely think that was an early stage. Yeah. That, was, that was too early of a stoppage. I was really looking forward to this rematch. Yeah. But it'll be rescheduled. Yeah. We'll get to see it. I'm sure Kutalabra will be even more pissed off yeah, for that then. fight. Yeah. So it'll be even more entertaining. Well, he needs not to be pissed off. He needs to be controlled because that was what was getting him into trouble. That's what the first got him time. in trouble. Yeah, because he's going to get. He's got to calm it down. He's got to be controlled in the in the octagon because his opponent is is going to be. Yeah. Um, so we certainly hope you know the, the Rolling Rocks team here hopes Kudalabra um, recovers from COVID fast and you know gets back on the mats. Mm-hmm. We want to we want to see him fight again. So. There's a couple of fights from the undercard that, that I'd like to talk about. Don't need to talk about all of them. No, a um, lot of them were just kind of, eh. I mean, the, the first five really ran, you know, they all went to stoppages, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, 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 the early fights were good. It was just, yeah. you stay up late to watch, you know. And for people don't know, I, I, people don't, a lot of people, the listeners don't know that my job, you know, I work six days a week. And on Saturdays, I have to go in at 4 in the morning. So I work from 4 to normally around noon on Saturday. So for me to turn around and stay up till midnight, 1 a.m. to watch fights, that's a long day for me. And if they're boring, <laughs> that's even it's worse. It's not worth it. And those two fights, as hyped up as I thought they were going to be, they did not live up to it. So on the undercard, the first one I'd like to talk about is uh, Hannah Cyphers versus Mallory Martin. Yeah, that was it, that was a really interesting fight. Hannah Cyphers missed weight. Yeah. Yep, came in at one seventeen. Um, yep. So you know, not not good for her. But 
The first round, it was all Hannah Cyphers. She knocked Martin down, beat on her. I mean, I thought it was going to be over so be over in the first round. She the, just beat on Martin. That that knockdown in the yeah. first round, you when you looked at the replay, Martin was out. Yeah, she, she was, was yeah. out for a split second, but she recovered really yeah. well. Um, second second round, bell rang, it and over. it was a completely different story. Martin came out, got the takedown, and subbed Hannah Cyphers. Yep. Um, that is going to be rough because that was Hannah Cyphers' fourth loss. Anyway. So, and yeah. Yeah, UFC, four, four losses, and you're not a big name, that's pretty much it. You're probably going to get cut, and she'll... But she's still good enough, and Bellator is trying to get a good female roster going. That I could see her easily going to Bellator. Yeah, and it's it's not a. Ma- I mean, she's talented. You know, she went through the Ultimate Fighter yeah. program. Um, you know, I she just um, she just hasn't been on a great streak recently. She's been on a bit of a skid, and yeah. you know, maybe a drop down to Invicta or yeah. Bellator might be good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get some, see. Get some confidence behind her. Uh, the other fight at um, on the undercard that I want to talk about was the Alex Caceres versus Austin Springer. That fight. really wasn't a fight. It wasn't. That was a that was a mugging. It was, but the thing that I found interesting about that was one: Alex Caceres was uncharacteristically clean cut yes, in that he fight. Was. Yeah, he cut. Yeah, I know. He was. He was. I didn't even recognize him at I, first because his the hair was gone. Yeah, he buzzed his hair down. Yeah. He trimmed his beard. Yeah, everything was neat and clean. He was neat and clean, and his technique was, was neat and clean yeah. too. He's. But after the after he just wiped the the octagon with Chase Hooper, and this is now his first three fight win streak since 2016, mm-hmm. and he looks better. It he, looks like he did when he first came in. He looks like he's maturing. Yes, as a fighter, and I don't just mean that from the standpoint that he got rid of the crazy hair and the. He's not right. going for crazy stuff. Yeah, he's being technical. He's being sound. I'm not. He's not doing these flashy kicks and all this stuff that got him into trouble in some of his fights. Instead, it's control. It's finding his range. It's using his hands. Using his hands to set up his kicks. Using his kicks to set up his hands. Using that space. Knowing where his body is. Knowing where his opponent is. That octagon presence has gotten better. And I mean, that's a big deal for. And he's still young. So I mean, yeah, he's still. He's still got plenty of time to work forward, and you, can, you know, maybe in a year or so, you can see him knocking on that door, possibly getting a title shot. If he's starting to mature at this point in his career, that's a really good sign yep. because the the worry with a guy with a technique like his, where he is kind of flashy and you know, gimmicks is not the right word, yeah. but right, he's got kind of a gimmick to his style. Um, is it people get stuck in that? Yeah. And then it, it was like when the Dodgers got that Japanese pitcher yeah, back yeah. in the 90s, right? He had that one pitch that nobody could figure yeah. out. And then once everybody yeah. figured it out, yeah. they were making home runs off of him like crazy and he only played for one season. Yep. Same deal with a style like Alex Caceres, yeah. right? They they get caught up in their own, you know, they, they play themselves, they get caught up in their own hype, and they don't mature as a as an athlete, as a fighter. I think this fight and this streak of three is starting to show the mature the, the maturation of Alex Caceres yeah. turning into 
Alex Caceres and not Bruce Leroy. He's growing out of Bruce Leroy. Yeah, I mean, I like to, I like that Bruce Lee War. A lot of people may not know what that's from. I don't even have to explain it to my wife and my son who Bruce Lee Roy is. It's from uh, an, a movie from the early '80s. You know, it had you know the bad guy with the showgun of Harlem, and it was, it was a funny take on kung fu. It was a black exploitation kung fu flick. <sighs> to I don't know if it falls completely in the black sport. Portation because a lot of those were like real harsh stereotypes, and this was more of just they literally just decided to take a Japanese, you know, like a Chinese or an Asian Japanese story and make it in a black community. So it really wasn't because the stere- there was none of the other stereotypes like it wasn't. I'm gonna get you, sucker. sucker. Yeah, that was stereotype <laughs> central. This was more of they just changed where they were instead of being in a small village in Japan or China, they were in Harlem. You know the same struggles, and you could, and it was the same struggles. You know, just different people, and it was actually a pretty decent movie. I liked it. It was funny. Had a lot of good, you know, uh, jokes, and it was it was a decent movie. So, but yeah, that that's where Bruce Bruce Lee was the hero. Shogun of Harlem was the bad guy. It was actually, you know, but that's where it come from. It was a good movie. I mean, yep. Anyway, all right, so those were the undercard fights that I, oh, that I want to talk about. One last thing before we move on to the main card. Favorite nickname? Favorite, I see that. Yeah, favorite nickname of, uh, of the fight was uh, Maki Patolo when he went up against uh, Impa, Impa Kasanagia. Um, Maki Coconut Bombs Patolo. Yeah. That's my favorite nickname of this particular card. Obviously, was, he's from Hawaii. Yeah, and that was my favorite fight of the night. It was a good That match. was my fight of the night. Them two guys had a good, clean brawl. It could have... Uh, coming in, not knowing anything about... Casanaga? Uh, Casanagane. Casanagane. They even, they even talked about... you know his, He's a first-generation American. But he, you know, so they're trying to explain his name because it's an interesting name. But he is first generation American. Uh, I think his parents were from the from the uh, Democratic of Congo. They're uh, immigrants, and he's a first generation American. He played football, so he got jacked up, and I mean, in a natural way. I mean, dude's legit. Yeah, he's just rip city. This fight, I was leaning Patolo. Because I know him more, but both these guys, because my wife even noticed, you know, she was talking, because my wife watched them with me this week for the first time in a while. And she's like, yeah, both of them are uh, Dana White Contender Series guys. So they both got contracts from. And first round was pretty even, but at second round into the third, you can see Casvanava, he started throwing that overhand right, but he threw it almost like a hook. That it was coming over the top of the defense, and it just kept ringing his back. Yeah, Patolo had real trouble dealing with yeah. that that hook cross thing. Yeah, that he it was going on. just this, and it was just a short throw. He wasn't extending his body. It was just like it's almost like uh, do you know Roy what? Jones Jr.'s lead hook? Uh, okay, so you know what it actually reminded me of? Do you remember um, Fedor's punch from guard? Oh yeah, that, the the yeah, no that, look, yeah. the no look overhand yeah. from guard. Yeah, 
That that it it's the standing version of that punch. Because he would he would keep his body straight. His stance was good, but when he would throw this, it would just kind of loop out there just enough to where it came right over the top of the defense. And Patoli early in the first round, he was moving his head just enough to stay out of the reach. So. Casanova, I'm sorry if we're, we're butchering your name, and I apologize. Casanagane. Casanagane, you're you, you hell of a fight, man. Uh, he was started throwing jabs with the left hand, so he was keeping Patolo's head up, and then he would hit him with that hook. So just those combinations were awesome. And these two guys were sportsmen; they both were legit. They're who you want to see fighting because they went in there, they beat on each other. They embraced after the fight. They're both sportsmen, and I, both these guys will have a career. You, I can see both these guys in a couple years being, you know, one fighting each other again. But two, you can see them, you know, that division, that one eighty-five pound division, you know, mm-hmm. you can see see them making moves in a year or two. We talk a lot about how impressed we are with the, um, or how much we appreciate the sportsmanship. Yep. That goes on in these fights. The funny thing is, as much as we talk about how much we appreciate it, it's the norm. Yeah. There's very little poor sportsmanship besides Magomed Ankalev and Ian Kutalabra. Um, and there's a... That, that's a thing. And you had the heavyweight fight a few weeks ago where the, the guy got mad and tried uh, to rush after the, the yeah after the decision and they had to run him out of the cage. You know, stuff like that. But the, those are the exceptions. Yeah. You know, it, for, you know... For what uh, John McCain, and God rest his soul, John McCain called human cockfighting. Yeah, um, yeah. It's pretty, the, the, the sportsmanship is, is pretty amazing in mixed martial arts as opposed to some other uh, sporting events that we have uh, going on right now or not depending on who's doing what. Um, anyway, so Jerry, what do you got for us on the main card? Okay. So Robbie Lawler versus Neil Magny. Um, you know Neil Magny came out and said it's only a matter of time before I'm a champion. I do not. That's just bluster because Magny is going to be a med med level guy. He's not going to be a champion. Not in that weight division. It's not going to happen, brother. Sorry, you're good, but. You get a pretty salty record, and you're not going to be a champion. And he's been around for a while yeah, too. You're, he's not a spring chicken. So, all right, now, main card, uh, first fight I want to talk about on that one is going to be the bully, Ricardo Lamas, because they he was the underdog, he lived up to his name, he bullied this fight through, he got himself a win, and then he basically retired. He didn't completely retire, but he said that this is probably it for him, he wanted to talk to his family, but that he was pretty much done, he said his you know, goodbyes in both English and Spanish. And, you know, other than laying his gloves in the, in the octagon walking out, he retired. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's not, he's not going to get another title fight. He knows it. This was more of a, here, try, you know, let this young savage fight you. Because, you know, we're going to pick the young savage to win. And, you know, Ricardo pulled it out of his butt and got a, got a really good, clean fight victory. But, you know, he's a legend. He's been around a long time. He's been he's fought for a title before, so he'll be missed because he's he's a good he's a, he's a good 
you know, mid-card guy that gives you a good fight every time. Yeah, Hikardo's been around for a while. He's had some really good fights. He's had some rough losses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he hasn't totally retired yet. Um, I'd like to see him fight again, but we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. He said, you know, it depends on what his family thought. Uh, Robbie Lawler versus Neil Magny. I expected more from this fight. Robbie Lawler come in on a three-fight losing streak. He's still pissed off about the Ben Askren stoppage. It's all he talks about is that fight was stopped. I didn't tap, blah, blah, blah. I expect him to come out and just go after Neil Magny and maybe, you know, put it on him. Instead, as soon as he started, you know, landing strikes, Magny took him down and just rode him all three rounds. And to the point where he was just beating on Lawler. And at the end of the fight, at the end of the third round, Lawler stands up, that nose is flat again, blood all over his face. You know, he looks just lost. This is his fourth straight loss. He's no longer a draw like he used to be. I can see this is probably, I would not be surprised if Dana White lets him go. It's starting to, um, the problem with Robbie Lawler is everybody talks about that crazy fight he had with um, Rory McDonald. With Rory McDonald, where he, you know, his lip was split open. They were both bloody. Noses were destroyed. Noses were gone. There's blood all over the place. Everybody talks about that fight, and it was a great fight. Robbie, you know, they both as bad as they looked at the end of it. They both look great, right? Yeah. Because they had a great performance. Yeah. Robbie, I think, has let that go. Not go to his head, but he thinks that's how all of his yeah. fights have to go. Yeah. And he's going in there, and he's... Swinging. He's swinging, but he's using his face yeah. as a shield. Yeah. And he's... There are other ways... Robbie, there are other ways to win a fight than by breaking your opponent's hand with your face. Yeah. I just I think he's going down that road, and he thinks that's how he's got to win the he fight. He wants to be the brawler that's always bleeding, always bloody. And, dude, man, you just can't do you it. Can, yeah, you can't do it. I mean, Ben Askren got you in a bulldog joke. Whether you tapped or not, whatever, Ben Askren, all he did was just grab your neck. As soon as you came running after him, he grabbed your neck. Neil Magny took you down and rode you. I mean, that's what's going to happen to you for now on. These guys aren't going to stand there and brawl with you and be like, yeah, let's just beat each other's faces. And no, they're just going to take you down or if, they're going to grab your neck. If he was going to, if he was going to fight Justin Gaethje. Yes, that like, would, yeah. That would be a fight that's perfect for that because yeah. both of those guys, regardless of how good a wrestler they are. They're just going to stand and bang. They're, they're going to stand and bang. Yep. But standing and banging is not the answer to every question. And there's only, yeah, there's only a handful of guys in the UFC that are le- legitimately going to stand there and will literally would in, in entertain that fight. Yeah. There's only a couple. Most of them are le- like, hey, man, you know, you want to throw these punches? Hey, I'm going to just take you down. How about that? I'm just going to sit on you. Yeah. I'm going to win this fight and protect myself. I'm not getting hurt. I'm not taking a six, nine-month Medical suspension because you broke my nose, you broke my eye, you know, my eye, I got stitches. So we'll take you down, sit on you. You want to stay in the bank? That's nice, yeah. bro. Check this yeah. out. Yeah, check this shit out. Cool story, man. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, what's the next fight you want You want to get? The only is just the main event Anthony Smith versus Alexandra Rick. It, it, it looked like to me a good fight because these two dudes 
the winner of this fight is probably going to fight next. Whoever wins between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovic. Said his name right. Fuck me. Uh, they're yeah, probably going to be the number one contender for the title. So I expect this to be a good, good fight. But Anthony Smith broke his leg. He didn't know it at the time. Those leg kicks. I mean, if you watch the fight, two minutes into this fight, Anthony Smith's on his butt. I mean, Ray Kick just took that leg out from under him. Those that little the leg the shots that did it was he threw a kick high and then a kick low back to back and that leg just went and with no fans you can hear that slap slap and he just sat down. And from then on, Smith, you know, even in, in between rounds he could, you know, stand up, walk there, but as soon as any pressure he he tumbled. And in the third round, when his coaches are like, Man, stand up, just stand up, get your knees under him. You can see by Anthony Smith Smith's face, he did not have the power or the strength in his legs to stand up. And then he's like, yeah, he has a break in the head of the fibula. It's a minor fracture. It will heal. He won't need surgery. But he's looking at least six weeks just to heal before he can train again. And he's also trying to decide whether he's going to stay at 205 or go back to 185. So that's a lot. That's a big thing to have on your mind, man. If you know this is second straight loss. Remember, he got beat by Grover Teixeira not that long ago, man. Yeah, that was a yeah. bad fight. He got just mauled, and this is an Anthony Smith that's not that far from removed from going pretty good with John Jones. Jones. Yeah, that's why it's like you know when people say, well, you know, like tonight the discussion on John Jones and heavyweights. Like, dude, John Jones' last couple fights weren't that good. You know, against Dominic Reyes, against Anthony Smith, against Diego Santos. I mean, those three guys gave him a run. Santos don't blow his knee in the second round. Santos could have been the champion. Mm. Santos was putting it on him, and he blew his knee. You know, Dominic Reyes, I think, won the points, but I'm not the judge. But that's all we had. I mean, it was interesting. They are okay fights, but like I said, it was hard to stay up late. When I've been up for a long time and the fights just kind of got boring. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is that all you got? That's all I got, brother. All right, man. So we'll be right back after this word from episode 11 guest Matt Warner and his book, Empire of the Goddess. My name is Thomas Dillon. You may know me as the man who supposedly killed his own son to collect insurance money. The truth is my little boy... Walter was abducted by a religious cult. They took him to a parallel world, to an America run by religious fanatics and plagued by disease. I know because I've been there, and I found my son. It's a place of magic and malice and ignorance, where faith healing is medical care and government enforcers dress like clansmen. Now, I know I sound crazy, like, this is the plot of a dystopian dark fantasy novel that would appeal to fans of Neil Gaiman. And indeed, that's how I had to get my story out, by teaming up with writer Matthew Warner. He published my first-person account as a novel called Empire of the Goddess. Publishers Weekly called it quick-paced and intriguing. Can you believe that? But he let me record the audiobook, because only I can tell you my story. And it's gonna blow your mind. Look for it on Amazon 
and at MatthewWarner.com. Empire of the Goddess. And we're back. All right, so on episode 10, we talked about motivation versus discipline and the differences between that. And that led to a discussion between Jerry and I about personal heroes and or, and or idols or, or points of uh, inspiration. And there are, there are some dudes on the internet who are, you know, they, they think that, you know, a man should be an island unto himself and, you know, he shouldn't have heroes and that if you have heroes, you have a weakness. That shows weakness. I think that's a pretty immature, weak argument um, because you can't find new ways of doing things or ways to better yourself just by looking inside yourself. You've got to look outside to find, you know, better ways of doing things, ideas, inspirations. The difference is when it is when it crosses over to hero worship. Yes. You know, kind of what you see with, you know, the 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 good example of this is dudes who wear jerseys with other men's names on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um it's one thing to have a hero or to have an inspiration. There's another it's a whole other thing to go into idol worship where you think they're the greatest things in sliced bread and they can do no wrong. I have a couple of jerseys. I, I mean, I, I got a Junior Seau jersey because he was a legendary linebacker. I don't wear it much, but it's in my closet. Yeah, but... But again, I don't... They're not like... They're humans. Yeah, and it's, I just like it's different. I think what you've got is different. Yours is memorabilia. Yeah, it's yes. not necessarily that you're worshiping the person. No, it's... Yeah. Junior Seau was an awesome linebacker and he was a good person, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, so what we wanted to talk about today is Jerry and I's personal heroes and inspirations. And again, this is these are people that we look to as examples of how we want to live our lives and how we are trying to do things better. Yes. And we uh, we kind of talked about this earlier. Um, we're not going to talk about Jocko because yeah. we both think Jocko is awesome. Yeah. So we had to pick people other than Jocko. Jocko. Um, so Jocko, you're number one on our list, but yeah. these are other people that we find uh, inspirational or we drive, um, you know, personal betterment from. Yes. So Jerry, who you got? All right. So I broke this up into like segments of my life because my life has changed dramatically over, you know, my forty plus years on this earth. When I was a kid, when I was a young man, I idolized the wrestling team, the Road Warriors. To me, these guys were like the greatest thing ever. They were the Chicago bad boys. They beat everybody up. They ran through stuff. They were just, just, when they would cut their promos, you know, when I was an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, listening to them like, oh, what a rush, and talking about beating up people. And, and these are the original you know, Road yeah, Warriors, these are the Hawk and Animal. Animal. Yep. They'd come running to the ring. You know, they had that great entrance theme. They were just these vicious dudes. And when I was a kid, everybody around me that, you know, growing up, a lot of wrestling, you know, in the South, you know, they always followed the good guys. Me, love the bad dude. You know, love the Road Warriors. Uh, I got to meet Animal. A few years ago in a meet and greet and I was lucky enough that the man actually stood there and talked to me for quite a while uh, his handler tried to push me through and uh, animal was like dude you do you see me talking and stood there took multiple pictures with me signed a bunch of stuff for me they didn't have to and he talked to me about Hawk who had 
passed away, passed away from a from a heart attack. And I mean, the dude was just legit. So it was cool to meet your heroes and realize that yes, this dude's been through a lot of shit. But it was you know, he was willing to still talk and wanted to talk. And you know, he didn't you know just like yeah, here's you know give me your money. Here's here's this t-shirt. Move on. It was you know talking about the old days. It was pretty cool. Uh, as I got older, I decided to join the Marine Corps. Uh, I think I decided that about the age 16. Uh, I was trying to narrow down branches and decided to be, I wanted to be a Marine. My stepfather was a Marine. The Marines to me seemed like the elite of the elite, so that's what I wanted to be. Uh, so getting into the Marine Corps way of life, started reading books, and there's this legendary Marine named Carlos Hathcock. He was also known as Il Trang, the White Feather, by the Vietnamese. This man had 93 confirmed kills, over 400 probable, through a few years in Vietnam. That's not why, you know, it was cool, you know, he defended the country and all. But it was more, not of the fact that he took life, but he saved a lot of lives as well. He he ended up not uh, finishing out a career in the Marine Corps because while he was in Vietnam, he rescued a bunch of of Marines from a burning APC, which is armored personnel carry. And it burned him over 70% of his body, which rendered him basically useless in the field. Uh, he had multiple skin transplants, but it, they never really took back then. They, you know, and he ended up being a uh, uh, shot instructor, became a shooting instructor for the Marine Corps and for the uh, uh, shooting teams. And he lived outside of Quantico, Virginia for a long time. And he was a cool dude. And I, you know, it was just his way of handling things. I mean, the fact that when he went, he got drafted to Vietnam, he told his young wife he was an MP in Saigon, so she wouldn't worry every night. He, she did not find out for two tours that he was actually the greatest sniper at the time in military history uh, until Stars and Stripes did a story on him and it got carried by her, the local newspaper. How pissed was she? Yeah, she thought he was an MP in Saigon. Where he just he just stayed around the base and kept jump marines from getting in trouble. That's what he told her. Uh, then he moved. I'd rather be a sniper. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a story I'll tell you later about. <laughs> I just I heard about marines and, and uh, PT belts. <laughs> they don't like wearing them. <laughs> no, uh, they don't. <laughs> uh, but as I got older, got in the Marine Corps. You know, started my civilian life again, which was you know I wasn't in the Marine Corps long, but it was still hard to dedicate that much of my life to doing something and then having to cut short because of an injury. So I found solace in, you know, I used to read all the time. I mean, this is back before we really had, you know, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have a lot of the stuff we do now. I worked a lot of night shift and I read a lot. So I started reading books by this guy named Richard Marchinko. He was pretty much one of the original SEALs. He built what is now SEAL Team 6, the gentleman who took out Bin Laden he also developed a program called Red Cell, where he actually used the military to infiltrate not on their own bases to see weaknesses, but he blew up, you know, technically, not in real life, but he technically blew up Air Force One. He, you know, would have blowed up several submarines and just wreak havoc. He invaded Camp David, where the presidents, you know, our presidents go to take vacations. And they like meet high-level foreign dignitaries. He was able to infiltrate it, uh, which he had. You know, he this is a blue-collar guy who became an officer. 
His name is Richard, no middle name, Marchenko. He has no middle name. He stepped on a lot of toes through his career. He wasn't very officer-friendly. Uh, he didn't really bend and grovel to a lot of the old cadre who expected him to. And when he started Red Cell and started embarrassing these guys and uh, embarrassing the old ways, they went after him. And he spent a year in Petersburg, Virginia, federal penitentiary, for basically for attempting to possibly defraud the government. Which is funny because literally they said, hey, man, you th we think you thought about taking something from us. So here's a year in federal prison and a dishonorable discharge. Which hurt him a little bit, his pride, but it actually launched his career as a writer because he wrote his biography, which is Rogue Warrior, which I suggest everybody read. It's phenomenal. But he also started writing fiction. He started writing nonfiction leadership books. He uh, follows, he does a lot of speaking to different events. And he's just an overall motivating dude because it's a lot of self-reliance. It's a lot of just, blue, you know, putting in the time. I mean, he always talks about putting in the time. That you don't have to be perfect. I mean, he talks about some of his seals. One of his best seals couldn't swim. The dude would walk across the bottom of the pool just to pass the test. And he's like, if the guy was standing in the wall, you know, hold his breath and walk the length of a pool just to get in, he was worth he's training. He's a keeper, yeah. And then, you know, there's there's other guys. You know, Miyamoto Musashi, the legendary samurai. He wrote A Book of Five Rings. Uh, Joe Rogan's talked about A lot of people have talked about I've got both the full book and I've got right now with me, there's a little book uh, that it's cut down to like 45 pages. And they cut it a lot of his uh, extra stuff out of it. And it's literally just uh, each of the five rings. And the five rings, you know, it stands for ground, water, fire, wood, and the void. So that's what five rings are. And it's a really good book. If you want to read the full book, he talks, he expands... Under everything. The, the book this, of, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no. the, so the Book of Five Rings is part a manual of swordsmanship. Yep. Because it, each of the books has a different focus on a different weapon set. Yes. Right? Like Earth is, I believe, one long sword. Mm -hmm. Fire is two short, short swords. It, it, and so it, it goes from there. But it's also Ronin philosophy. Yes. It's... Um, it, inner calm. Yeah, inner. It, it's a it's a total prog. It's a total program. Yeah. For life as a wandering, Roman. wandering Ronin, or just as being a man in general, you know, or a woman. But it's a it's is literally how to look inside. That you're not going to beat anybody unless you look inside. And I mean, this is a guy who beat everybody. I mean, he started dueling at 13. He beat a guy with a bodor. One of the most, one of the corresponding I mean, most famous housed samurai, because yeah. Musashi was a ronin. He yeah. was a samurai with no feudal with no, lord. Yeah, with no, so he um, wasn't. He technically wasn't a samurai because he was a ronin. Mm -hmm. He had the training, and he was, you know, but he could no longer claim the title of samurai because he didn't have a house. So he was a ronin. He was a rogue. He was, you know, whatever you want. You know, that's what he was. He's a knight without a lord. Yeah. So, to th so continue, and then I got some questions for you. Well, to me, Masashi, he that whole 
and looking inside the intercom, you know, it's it's. I don't I don't idolize him. He's not my idol, but I like the way he writes. He writes. He's really. It's very precise. It's very clear, and it's it's a good way. I mean, it's it's a good book. It's along the lines of like a Sun Tzu, who you know, Art of War. That book still is read to this day by military leaders. It's actually on the list of must-read books in most branches to get promoted. You have to read that book. It's taught in business school. Yeah, because it corresponds. But you know that's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, there's a lot of other guys that I, I find inspiration from. You know, here and there. You know, uh, but you know, that's the main ones I kind of look to. I read a lot. A lot of them, I you know, pay attention, and I just you know lead my life to be a decent person and be who I am, and not like you said, wear somebody else's jersey and only talk about how great they are. Instead, it's like, well, I'm going to read this guy's book, and hey, man, I can put that part in my life, and I can live my life better. So, question for you on um, the Marine Corps. So, you picked Carlos Hathcock, mm -hmm. which is awesome, but you've also got John Bazalone. Yes. And you've got Chesty Puller. Oh, you've got, I mean, there's so, even more than that. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, oh, there's so many more than that. I mean, you've got Presley O'Bannon, you know, the two-time Medal of Honor winner. You know, and the fact that he got the, the the sword that the Marines carry today, the dress sword, is different than anybody else's sword because they all carry sabers. The Marine Corps actually carries a scimitar. It is a gift from a Persian prince. The Mameluke sword. This the Mameluke sword. It's a scimitar. It is a gift after Presley O'Bannon and about 13 Marines and a box full of gold. Took Tripoli. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Cheers. And they overthrew, you know, that country and put someone a little more favorable into what is now known as Iran. And like I said, it was 13 Marines and a box of gold. Just never know what a Marine and his rifle can do. Yeah, it all starts in Tun Tavern. Um, so, to Musashi. So he's written. There was another book written by Musashi called Budoko. I've read a lot of his essays. He's written tons of stuff. Yeah, um, he was. He is a pretty prodigious writer. It's but it's hard to find a lot of them translated into English, and and it's hard to know if what you're reading is exact or if it's somebody else's interpretation. interpretation. Because like I found that with Sun Tzu, uh, I've got the Art of War. I've got two copies. I've got one that was uh, translated. It's one that most people read. But there was another one that was uh, translated by uh, an Englishman. But he took what Sun Tzu said and he translated it to what he thought. And he started expanding upon on his views of it. Trash. So it's such a different book. So it's the Bible version mm. of, of events of of uh, of. Hey, we like that board. story. Let's change it to this, right? Um, so the 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 one quote from Musashi that I think works everywhere 
is if you see the way in one thing, you see the way in all, all things. things. And that kind of comes through, that loops back to jujitsu, mm, yep. right? Because everything we've talked about on the last 13 shows, hey, lucky number 13, mm-hmm. we're here, um, is how jujitsu has influenced our lives yep. and how it's made it better and how we use jujitsu everywhere else in our life. And that quote by Musashi sums it up perfectly. Yep. If you see the way in one thing, you see it in all things. Um, and then one last thing, Dick Marchenko, he is amazing. And he is the first guy really in, in U.S. military history to do what is known as red teaming. And red teaming is a personal passion of mine. One day we might talk about it a little more, but Dick Marchenko is the first one who really red teamed the USDOD and made them look like fools in a lot of situations. And a lot of what we do today in the DOD comes from what Dick Marchenko did with Red Cell and has been expanded on by a number of guys um, that I'm not going to say their names because I shouldn't know who they are. So, Jerry, that's a great list, man. That, that those are those are some awesome people. Yeah, Mar- Marchinko. Most of the a lot of the equipment that the seals started using is because of him. He developed their under their deep water under, uh, retrieval system. He helped develop the deep water breathing apparatus. I mean, he did a lot of their techniques. I mean, because he learned the hard way. I mean, the dude makes jokes about it, but he would literally run barefoot in Vietnam for two reasons. One, he said he could feel booby trap and wires better with his toes. And two, he was so tall and had such big feet, he would leave these muddy footprints everywhere. And he, would, he said it would, you know, freak the beat when he's out, thinking they're just, you know, There's a hairy, Yeti big, or yeah, something. hairy Bigfoot running around. All right. So, anything else, bud? That's what I got, brother. All right, man. Cheers to that. Cheers. Good list. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, and we're back. So, um, I kind of set my list up very similar to what Jerry uh, set his up as far as you know, it being stage points in life. Um, I didn't really start amassing heroes or starting thinking about it until high school. Um, and that was when I found this dude called Henry Rollins. <laughs> I saw him on MTV one day, and it was the 93 Lollapalooza tour. And he was doing this song um, called Alien Syndrome. Yeah. And it was all about how you survived um, really bad emotional events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was uh, the, the, the thing is, the, the, the line that really stuck with me is the best revenge is to, is to survive. Yeah. And. Henry Rollins' music got me through high school. He was a straight-edge guy. I was a straight-edge kid in high school, not knowing what straight-edge was, but I was a straight-edge kid in high school. Um, Me, not so much. Well, yeah, we've already talked about that. But um, I was a straight-edge kid in high school, not knowing what straight-edge was, but Rollins' music really spoke to me. And then later on... I found his spoken word and his writings. Yes. And it was even more like a, a dive into my brain pan. 
he really resonated with me. You know, his stories about being on Ritalin. He was one of the test kids for Ritalin back in the 80s. Um, he was one of the test kids for Ritalin back in the 80s. And talking about the teacher who, you know, introduced him to weightlifting as a method of improving his, uh, his self-confidence and just all the stuff that, that he went into. What really turned me on to Rollins was when I started reading his work about traveling. Yeah. And just the fact that he's willing to throw a, a dart at the map and go, I'm going there. Yeah, his spoken word stuff really got me in. I've read a lot of his books, and the song that caught me first was Liar. Yeah, which is the same album yep. that Alien Syndrome came off of. Yeah, but that was my... I heard, you know, I remember when he did his Black Flag. Mm-hmm. So I heard him before that, but when he when he started, uh, when he did, you know, the Rollins Band, and he did Liar, that was like my anthem for the longest time. And it's still probably... That and, um, Asshole. I'm an Asshole. That was Dennis Leary. Yes, I know. That's the two songs that... Oh, oh, gotcha. Me okay. The most. Okay. If I enter a room, it's either Rollins' Liar or <laughs> Dennis Leary's I'm an Asshole. <laughs> good. That's a good list. Cheers. Um, but so Rollins, just the whole deal about Rollins where he would go, kind of go native, yep. right? He would go off the beaten path, right? He wouldn't go to all the shiny places. He would go somewhere else. Um, You know, that was really, that was really transformative for me. Mm -hmm. And like I said, his music got me through high school and his writing got me through my late 20s or my early 20s, late 20s. Um, We just kind of resonated. So I thought Rollins was really cool. I, I still carry a lot of his manner even mannerisms uh, along uh with me right now um so the 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 second guy who i consider a uh, a hero or a source of inspiration is dave tate and for those of you who don't know dave tate was a competitive power lifter he lifted under louis simmons at Westside barbell and i got to meet dave tate at um at an event called the DC Testosterone Fest. Awesome. Um, Good it was, name. Yeah, great name. It was put on by the, the Testosterone Nation website back in, in the, the early 2000s. And I got to meet Dave. And Dave was amazing. It was a, it was a two-day strength training seminar and had a lot of great guys. We had... Um, Alan Cosgrove, we had Chris Shugart, we had T.C. Luoma, but Dave Tate was like the benchmark, right, the the capstone speaker. And everybody else came up and they said, you know, hi, I'm Alan Cosgrove, you know, they did their thing. Sorry, Alan, I know you can kick my ass, but anyway. Um, Dave came out to music. It was uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and his deal was at this, this speaking engagement was there's five levels. There's shit, suck, good, and great. Mm-hmm. And he said, basically what it was is four levels, sorry. The, um, the, the level of effort it takes to go from shit to suck is really low. The level of effort it takes to go from suck to good is not that much more. But the level of effort that it takes to go from good to great 
is enormous. And just his intensity and his integrity in what he was doing really caught my attention. And if you look at Dave Tate's um, history and his career, it is a study in sacrifice. It is a really hard life to be a competitive weightlifter. And this is, this is, this is um, traditional weightlifting where it's bench squat deadlift, not Olympic lifting. Um, he, he has put his body through some really crazy stuff, and he's still lifting. And part of that is Louis Simmons being a West Side guy. Yeah. But Dave is, Dave is a maniac. He also runs uh, ETFS Fitness, which is one of the premier fitness equipment suppliers in the world. Um, if you look at Rogue Equipment, what they are to uh, CrossFit, ETFS is to powerlifting. Um, so he is, he's an entrepreneur. He's a weightlifter. He's a writer. I've got several of his books. And when he looks back on the West Side days... Um, he talks about some of the rules of West Side, and I found these to be pretty interesting because there's some carryover to what we do. Excuse me, what we do here at Total Defense Martial Arts. So, if you, these are some of the rules that he remembers. One of them was leave your drama outside the door. He said it took him years to figure out that there were guys that he trained with who were married or divorced. He said they talked shit and they talked training. That was it. Yep. They left everything else outside. Like we do here. Yep, exactly. Um, make the gym better. Yes. That's a big one. Then when we talked about helping mop, helping sweep, keep the place clean. I mean, that's what mean, that's what part of it means. Also bring in a good attitude. Be good to each other. That makes the gym better. Yep. Um, here's, here's another good one. If you get called out, step up. Yeah. That'd be, that is a total translation to yep. here. If somebody calls you out on the mat, it's okay to say, I need a rest round, but you pick that up the next time. Yep. If somebody wants to roll with you, you roll. Unless there's, you know, there's a safety thing going on, which yeah. we talked about before. Um, here, one more. If your ego gets the best of you, You'll get reminded and you'll get schooled. Yes. Um, training hard was not expected. It was a given. Yeah. Same deal. Um, and then, then the last one was stay out of the bullshit and let your lifting do the talking. Same thing here. Yeah. Stay out of the bullshit. Let your jiu-jitsu do the talking. Yeah. I mean, um, if, you're, if, if you're a YouTube warrior and you don't put in the time here... It shows on our mats. Just like, you know, you know I guess it would translate to lifting. If you're just talking shit and just, you know, half-assing it, it's going to show. And he said about ego, basically don't let your alligator mouth get your hummingbird ass into something they can't get out of. And the last rule, don't date, don't date strippers or use crack. <laughs> John Jones. John Jones. So, um, my... My, my, my last one, I've got an extra credit one, but my last one um, was Anthony Bourdain. Good man. Yeah, he was, uh, 
you know, he, he left the world a little too soon. Yes, he did. I ran into Anthony Bourdain on his first TV show, which was a Cook's Tour, mm-hmm. on Food Network. And it did not, it only aired for one season before he went over to the Discovery and the Travel oh, Channel yeah. to do Parts Unknown and No Reservations. Um, but I, I saw Anthony Bourdain, uh, I'm kind of big into cooking. That's, you know, something that we don't talk about here, but I'm, I'm big into cooking and I'm big into eating. Um, Bourdain, I started reading Bourdain's books and the thing that changed my perception from Bourdain's books is how I treat wait staff and how I treat kitchen staff. Yes. It, it the things that those poor people go through to serve you and to give you a good experience is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And Bourdain's books and the look behind the curtain or the look behind the counter into the kitchen really changed how I treat people in the service industry. Yeah, I look, I've I've heard a lot of his stuff. I've listened to a lot of his interviews. Paid a lot of attention to some of his spoken stuff. I watched some of his shows. Are awesome. The dude loved to learn. He wasn't egotistical about nothing. He would go anywhere and learn from anybody. And he could always learn. Yep. He was a, um, he found jujitsu late yes, in life. He, he was a black belt at 60 mm-hmm. um, before he passed away um, under very sad circumstances. Um, but Bourdain really changed how I treat people in the service industry and he also changed how I eat well his viewpoint on eating wasn't just to eat to get through it it was to enjoy it that he the whole process the gathering the cooking the eating is a whole journey amongst itself it's not just grab something throw it in a damn microwave call it a day it was the process yeah and the thing that the one thing that really changed my way of eating from Bourdain was he talked about how do you know this is going to sound like something you would tell your six-year-old but how do you know you don't like something until you try it well but that's that's a good good thing because how many people now a days will not try something because it's out of their comfort zone I mean we talk about jujitsu people just like man I want to try that I don't know man I don't know that looks hard I don't know if I could deal with that it's the same thing I mean it's just drink it you know, anything. Trying a new drink. Trying to eat healthy. Trying some kind of foreign food. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Salvadorian food now. Mm. We are lucky, blessed in our community to have Papusas. glorious poparusa. And I, I was a fan, but we had some flooding here locally. And, I mean, devastating flooding. And the poor lady lost her business. And the community came together and raised more than enough money so that she can reopen. Because not only is she a good cook, and her food is amazing, but her gift to the community as well was, was amazing. And that's like you're talking about like Anthony Bourdain. Not only was he a great chef, and he was so fond of travel, but he, you could see him, he would go to these little villages, man watch his show, and he would let some somebody's grandma teach him something. I mean, this dude is a world-class chef, but he would let somebody's grandma teach him something. Yeah. 
And he would look forward to it because he would learn a different way to prepare something. He would learn something totally new. And then I remember him drinking some shit that he's like, what is this? Oh. Uh, that mare's milk. Oh, God. They, they drink fermented mare's milk. Yeah. Is it turkey? think so I'm tr- I don't, I'm, we, we may be wrong where they there's so it. many episodes but they but he there's a uh, they drink fermented mare's milk so it's alcoholic beverage and it took him a while to get around the idea of drinking rotten milk but then he drank it and he's like this isn't so bad again try something you know you don't know till you try I didn't start trying raw oysters until I learned about Bourdain and I read his book. I was like, man, that's disgusting. Well, how do you know it's disgusting? I've never eaten it before. Oh, escargot. Yeah. Oh, I love escargot. I, people, you know, you're eating snails. Yeah, okay. You so? just don't chew them that much because it tastes like bubblegum. But if you eat them right, they're great. Uh, yes. So Bourdain, Bourdain's one of my... Uh, no, Bourdain's a good choice. Yeah, right? Bourdain's pretty awesome. We're sorry we lost him. And I got, yeah. I got one other one. And this, I don't know, it's a little different, but... Um, Jack J is is really a fundamental hero to me. Jack was he was my roller skating coach. Hey man. I used to be a I used to be a an art skater um, way back in the day, and Jack was our coach. And um, not only I did art skating, but I also was a speed skating referee. And judge, and we used to. Tra- My dad and I used to travel all over the the southeastern um, conference, judging speed skating meets. And Jack would go. We would travel with Jack, and Jack J. J was not his real last name. He was um, he was ethnically and religiously Jewish, but he fell in love with a Christian woman, and he wanted to marry her. So he had to give up his last name. Mm. His last name was Janklowitz or something to that effect. But he had to give up his last name in order to marry Carolyn, um, which he did. And he was big in the, the, the roller skating scene. Roller skating used to be a big thing yeah. in this area. And, but the thing about Jack J was, and this kind of goes back to the Anthony Bourdain deal, when we would travel to a skating meet, Jack would find a um, a woman who worked in housekeeping and say, where's your favorite place to eat in town? And she would say, oh, you know, Longhorn Steakhouse or Red Lobster. And he's like, no, where's your favorite yeah. place? Where's the place that reminds you of your grandmother's food? Yeah. And she would, oh... And we would go to that place. <clears throat> the hole-in-the-wall place. We would go to the hole-in-the-wall place and eat the most unbelievable food that was so good. We went to Charleston, West Virginia one time, and he found this hole-in-the-wall Cantonese place. And he, it was me and him and nobody else. He ordered the family dinner for five. The table was covered in plates. And it was all amazing food. And he was he was a gourmet. He cooked. He grew his own vegetables. He grew his own garlic. Jack J was an amazing dude. And the thing about Jack was, because he was the speed skating coach and the art skating coach, 
he had the opportunity to influence young people's lives in this area. Yeah. Um, and Jack was an amazing person. And his influence on me actually goes back before Henry Rollins. Like, I met Jack when I was six. And I knew Jack all the way up until he passed when I was 27. Um, Jack J was... Jack Jay was an amazing person, and I was uh, I was very blessed to know him in person. So, that's my list. It's a good list. Yeah, I mean, you can you can tell by our list we come from different, a little different backgrounds. Our backgrounds kind of come together, but everybody should have. I mean, there's the whole thing Scott talked about. These guys like you should man should be his own island, shouldn't have heroes or idols, but yet they're telling you to idolize them. They have Instagram and Facebook pages literally want you to be a fan of them while they tell you not to be a fan of anybody else. And they're trying to make money selling Selling programs. Programs for you to be like them. So it's bullshit. Big fat Bushido. But, I mean, I had, you know, growing up, I followed a lot, you know, we didn't have internet, so did a lot of reading. And I did, you know, watched a lot of wrestling, you know, football early on, you know, but, uh, you know, other than the Road Warriors, I was a huge Four Horsemen fan. I got the opportunity to meet the Horsemen. Nice. Uh, got a picture taken with them, got to shake hands with some of my idols, got to watch Ric Flair less than a few feet away do his, you know, strut, which was cool. Was very, very cool. Uh, got to meet. You know, the Barbarian. You know, I don't really watch much wrestling anymore. I don't watch any wrestling anymore. It's but, just silly now. But to watch, to see some of my idols, the hard part is seeing my idols limp and <laughs> beaten and broken from the damage they did to their bodies. It also makes me think, even though they've done, you know, that you know wrestling is scripted and there's storylines, but the wear and tear that they've did to their body is makes real. It, it makes it even easier to idolize them to a point because these dudes are literally destroying their bodies just to entertain you and make a buck. You know, yes, they get paid, but they are destroying their bodies. I mean, uh, they're getting ready to release a documentary on Vampiro. Uh, unless you're a huge wrestling fan, you have no idea who he is, but he was... Back in the 90s and early 2000s, he was one of the craziest wrestlers out there. He did all the crazy stuff. Ringside commentator for Lucha Underground. Now, but you watch him walk, and it hurts. The dude can't walk across his own lawn because he's in so much pain every day because of the crazy stuff he did to his body. And, you know... Getting to meet getting to meet these guys I looked up to as a kid um, is awesome. You know, getting to meet Animal and, have, and f- realizing that I'm taller. There, I have a picture with him. I'm actually his height. Which really? Is, yeah. Animal is short. He's a short dude. Stocky as fuck. Still strong as hell. Well, Hawk was shorter than Animal. No, Hawk was taller. Was Hawk was a little tall. Yeah. Hawk was taller and Animal was stockier. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. But because it was, they would always put Animal would pick him up and Hawk would dive off the top rope. That's they right. had the first ever tag team finisher that was legit called the Doomsday Device. Look it up. 
I, like I said, I got to meet this guy instead of just buying a t-shirt and an autograph and being pushed through a line. He stood there and talked to me for probably 20, 25 minutes. My, my friends I went to this you know thing with got mad because I they were like, dude, you disappeared. It's like, no, nah, man, I was talking to animal. I mean, we had a conversation, a legit conversation, man. And wife got mad because I got a picture with this really attractive wrestler girl. <laughs> I apparently have a good smile, and I got the picture for free. We should <laughs> doomsday device. We should have done that to Lindsay tonight. <laughs> we we could have. I sidewalk slammed her. Yeah. So happy birthday <laughs> to, to Lindsay. To Lindsay. Uh, one of our teammates here at Total Defense Martial Arts. Um, she, she made a mistake of telling us tomorrow was her birthday, so she she got uh, she got jump roped. You know, she got uh, what you elbowed her. I elbowed him drop, and then yeah. I did the sidewalk slam. Yep. So happy birthday to uh, to Lindsay. She's a good teammate. She is a great teammate, and, and both of those uh, yeah, young ladies Lydia are well. her. Yep. Yeah, Lindsay, her her sister is awesome as well. Good parents. Yeah, great parents. Um, so that's, uh, that's all we got, I think tonight. Yeah. We had a really great class tonight. Crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Class ran a little long. Yep. Um, we, uh, we just had a great class tonight and, and it's one know. of those nights where we went over a lot of stuff and our coach answered a lot of questions because we have a, you know, some newer members and we had a lot of questions and we're, you know. We're still trying to follow our COVID rules and stuff and do what we can. So a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of talking, a lot of figuring stuff out, a lot of what ifs and trying to talk out the what ifs in you know, real life scenarios. But it's good to be back in, in our gyms. You know, it's good to be able to do something with our teams. Uh, all those guys out there that are struggling, you know, some of these states that you can't, you still can't do it, man. Just keep your heads up, keep doing your thing. Some of you are in other countries. I know some countries are wide open. Some countries are still shut down. I mean, and I know we have, you know, listeners all around the world. God, we love you. Uh, follow us on Instagram, man. Give us a shout out. There's something you want us to talk about. Let us know. Let us know. Just say, hey, you know, I'm a listener. Be awesome. We'd like to, you know, get to know who our listeners are. Yep. Email um, for us is rollingrossradio at protonmail.com. Uh, that's in the show notes. We'll also have uh, links to our social media. Mm-hmm. We're trying to put out the the bottle we're drinking each week a little yep. bit ahead of time in case you guys want to drink along with us. Um, next week, uh, I'll go ahead and preview this now. Next week, we're drinking, not available in Virginia, we're drinking Early Times Bottled and Bond. Yes, I showed my wife and she was like, isn't that cheap stuff? I was like, woman, don't be disparaging. <laughs> so early times is, and we'll get into this a little bit next week. But early times it's is a low grade. It's a low it, grade. It, it's a blended whiskey yep. that's part single yep. barrel bourbon and part light whiskey. Yep. But the the early times bottled and bond is a true bottled and bond, a hundred proof single barrel single distillery. Yes, bottled and bond does mean something. You you may. Uh, so you understand, you can Google it. Bottle and bond is actually a requirement. Yeah. They used to actually issue permits, and your stuff had to be bottled and bond. It's similar. It's it, Bottled and bond is the whiskey version of 
the German beer, beer purity rules, yep. rules that you see like Pauliner and and some of those uh, other breweries over in Germany that have like a, a coat of arms mm. or a seal on their bottle. That seal and each of the symbols on it, like like Pauliner and Spaten and some of the, the, the German beers, that means that they are certified um, that they meet the German beer purity law. Yep. And bottled and bond is the the American bourbon version of that. Yes, it is. Yeah, based on I think English and Scottish United Kingdom rules for uh, whiskey and and, bur- and scotches, and it's a very important thing. If your stuff's bottled and bond, you're you're saying that this is legit top line stuff. And it's guaranteed to be. It's going to be a hundred proof. Yep. Single at barrel, least. single distillery. Yep. It's going to be at least one hundred proof, uh, if not higher. But it's got to meet very strict guidelines yep so that's what we're going to be drinking next week and it's it like i said it's uh it's not available in virginia i found it in kentucky i had to sneak it home on the southern express but uh that's what we'll be drinking next week and then the week after that on uh episode 13 15 15 we'll be having our teammate cody on we're still trying to find a bottle of Blanton's for him, but we'll see what happens. We might have to get creative. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll figure something out. I think I can, I can find a bottle of Blanton's somewhere. Uh, but if not, we'll, we'll come up with something interesting for dealer's choice. Um, but that's what we got planned in the future. So next week it'll be uh, Jerry and I. A week after that, it, we'll have Cody on, which will be absolutely amazing. Yep. He's a teammate here at Total Defense. He's a former cage fighter, and he is one of the nicest dudes you will ever fucking meet. Yep, and hopefully, uh, heads up, we're probably going to have uh, another teammate, Liz. Uh, she's yes. free to be on the on the podcast, so we're going to try to get her in October. Uh, we're going to make arrangements. She is a blue belt. She got her blue belt the same day I got mine. Blue belt mafia. She is, yeah, she was a member of our blue belt mafia. She is legit as they come. She's a tough tough person uh you know uh, her spunk is amazing she's a great challenge to roll with and she loves whiskey we found out we were when we were practicing for a blue belt test we were coming in here on sundays uh me scott and liz and we would just go we went over a bunch of stuff one day and then we decided to go drink some whiskey and that girl loves her whiskey knows her whiskey and drinks it you know like like she should. And she got offended when the waitress brought her ice. Which was awesome. awesome. She was like, did I ask for ice? I was like, gangsta. She's like, I'm drinking this stuff straight. We're going to have to get a good bottle for Liz. I think Angel's Envy. Oh. I'm leaning towards Angel's Envy. We'll, we'll see what she thinks, what she wants. Yes. Because well, I, well, we always ask the guest. But yeah. if she doesn't have a preference, I think we're going to go with Angel's Envy. Because that is a... Great. That's really good. So, yep. So that's what we got coming up in the future. Um, like Jerry said, if you've got anything that you want us to talk about, let us know. Actually, I got a couple of great ideas from this episode of, of mm-hmm. things that we can talk about in and the future. And if you disagree with anything we say, hey man, shoot us a message on Facebook. Yeah. We won't be a, on, on Instagram. We're not on Facebook yet. We're still trying to work that out. Uh, we're the, we will soon have a Facebook page. Uh, we just have we don't have one yet. Instagram works, Twitter works. Just shoot us a message and you know say hey, 
I disagree with what you said about this. Let us know. We'll be, we would love to engage our listeners. Absolutely. Um, so we good for the night? Yep. All right, man. So he's Jerry Armitrout. I'm Scott Barker. You've been listening to Rolling Rocks Radio. Thank you very much for the listen. We will talk next week. We're out. Good night. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Cheers.